Welcome. Welcome, lovely listeners, to another episode of the Soccer Capital Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Turner, and joining me in our studios in deep southern Illinois is a man who says he survived an open bar at a wedding reception this weekend, but he still doesn't look like it. It's producer Mason. How you feeling today, Mason? Uh, better than I did yesterday and certainly better than I did on Sunday. <laughs> yes, I did survive. I even remembered to talk about it, but uh, I did not survive unscathed. <laughs> That's all right. Someday you'll get over it, maybe. Just uh, order up a new liver at the hospital next chance you get. <laughs> and joining me from his studio cave somewhere in the wilds of West St. Louis County is a man who didn't melt while experiencing the joys and sorrows of Saturday City 2 watch party at Schlafly Taproom. It's our own Sean Campbell. How are you doing today, Sean? Oh, I'm doing just fine and dandy. It's been a, it was a great weekend. I, I really enjoyed being there. Thanks for, thank you, Schlafly, for having us out. Uh, can't wait for next season and let's talk some soccer. You're doing dandy. You're better than me. That's for sure. And also joining us is a man who showed superhuman strength this past Saturday and surviving a lethal toxic environment in Columbus, Ohio. It's Chris Zimmerman. <laughs> How are you doing, Chris? Um, you know, for someone who made a 13-hour round trip to see his favorite team lose 4-1, to one, I'm doing okay. <laughs> yep, yep. Oh. No adverse effects from the exposure to Ohio. <laughs> <laughs> the flannel Ohio, it's worse for it your body toxic. than going to Chernobyl. <laughs> in case you're confused, there was a watch party in the parking lot outside the tap room at Schlafly, right straight across from uh, Centene Stadium in downtown St. Louis. And uh, Sean and I were there. Mason was at a wedding reception, and uh, Chris had made the trip to drum himself into the hearts and souls of crew fans to have them dread the oncoming rush of City 2 that, frankly, didn't happen but we're here to break it all down for you as uh, city two falls short in the mls next pro cup final they lose four to one to columbus crew in columbus and uh started off it actually was quite good uh nice brisk game both teams ready to go playing pretty high level soccer to be quite honest, uh, the first real excitement in the match was in the eighth minute. Michael Creek had to come out on a breakaway by uh, crew star Jason Russell Rowe. Came out, got on him, stuffed the ball. Great save by uh, Michael Creek. And that kept it going. Uh, three minutes later, uh, City 2's own Isaac Jensen uh, found himself behind Columbus's high line of defense that they would play most of the game. Uh, he chipped it over. Uh, St. Louis's own and Columbus crew goalkeeper Patrick Schulte, uh, but it got saved off the line by a crew player. Uh, Jensen did get to the rebound, but then it went over the bar. Uh, whether it was deflected or uh, he just shot high, I'm not sure. It was uh, at the watch party outside uh, uh, the club. St. Louis City SC did help supply the watch party with a large screen TV for us all to watch on, but with the uh, sunshine on it and the way the shadows were at lower.com field at that point, anything that went in the attacking end and into the box for St. Louis city was just a black bar across the screen for us. So not sure what happened there. And of course 
the wonderful replays on MLSNextPro.com weren't of much assistance either. Uh, but that's neither here nor there. I do actually have to say, because I it was as alluded to earlier, I was busy. I didn't watch this game live. The replay was actually quite a bit better mm-hmm. for this game that you actually could see some action. Um, and also the replays were a lot more extensive. But from this, it still was hard to tell. Yeah. And uh, it did get better. It changed my point of view on that. Yeah. I mean, I was situated up in the second deck of the stadium, which was, st- was still a pretty decent view for the parts of the game I did watch, which is more than usual, actually. But um, Oh, so it was 45 seconds instead of 30 this time? Uh, actually, I think I pushed 60. Ooh, damn. Oh, damn. Uh, the, the little circle on my watch party watch uh, filled up. <laughs> little Lebowski overachiever yeah. here. But my, I think my, I got my daily allowance of watching soccer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but from my angle, I think that uh, the deflection there was pretty obvious. Yeah, I just I couldn't recall. Yeah. Uh, it was loud. There was a lot of people at the watch party. There was a lot there in the sunshine, which was warmer than we expected. But that's neither here nor there. Uh, actually, most of the first half was a very enjoyable game to watch. Uh, both teams playing tight defense, both teams getting out on the break, having their chances. Um, Cecilio Pompeo had a chance in the 25th minute, but uh, that shot got deflected out for a corner. And uh, we're feeling pretty good starting to head into the uh, half. But in the 43rd minute, City 2 gave up a foul uh, right outside the box. Uh, looked to be a bad position. Oh, that's a bad place for a foul. They set up for a free kick in that dangerous area, and it kicked it right off of the wall. Next thing you know, we hear a whistle. It's a penalty against City, too. Uh, couldn't really see it that well at the watch party. At that time, kind of looked like from what I could see that his arm came out to get the ball, but watching the replays, no, not at all. His arms did come. Max Schneider uh, took the penalty. He was at the end of the wall. As he jumped, his arms came up, but then they came back down, and his arm is right in front of him, and the ball hits him within the confines of his body, and the ref calls a penalty on that. No, I, uh, like I said, I didn't, I didn't watch the game, but I watched the replay, and I was like, okay, this is a soft adult play area of a call, man. Come on. How are you going to call this a handball? Oh, I was yeah. say. It is very noticeable on the um, the uh, highlights that were posted on YouTube that they reshowed the spoiler alert, the later penalty that didn't have much doubt to it. They showed about three runs of that, but they didn't replay this call at all on the uh, official highlights on YouTube. Yeah, no, this is God's softest call. I, oh. Come on. <laughs> oh, no, I have. I ooh my gosh, this is one of those calls that I think. Even Charlie Davies would look at on instant replay on YouTube and be like, that's a bad penalty call. 100%. It needs to that. I I had a whole discussion with a couple of other fans at halftime about it. You know, it's like it's if you're in the wall, you kind of have special rules. And this ref did not believe that Uh, we needed VAR in this match. It was a championship match. I don't care if not all the stadiums can in the playoffs. You need to have VAR. I believe that FIFA actually, uh, downgraded their rules it was pretty much in the box 
a free kick or not, anything that hits a hand was a penalty. They downgraded it only if you make yourself bigger and you're outside the, you know, the silhouette of the body. This clearly was not. Um, boy, he was quick to call that penalty. And of course, being MLS Next Pro, there's no VAR. Uh, plus, would they have even overturned it? It being MLS Next Pro, <laughs> let's not get into I don't that. care don't if it was Next Pro or not. It was a championship game. It needed to be reviewable. If you're going to have VAR, oh, and you're playing it in a stadium that has VAR capabilities, especially if it's a playoff game, you need to have the capabilities for that. Yeah, generally they didn't. They changed the time of the championship game four days before it started. You yeah, think they're going to bother I, with VAR? Yeah, it like funded like on principle, I agree, right? But th- they this game was never going to have VAR. No, the league, they just don't have the capability for all the stadiums everywhere else. They weren't going to institute it for this one game in one week's time. It wasn't going to happen. Yeah. On principle, I agree with Sean. This game should have had VAR, but realistically, it never was going to. So yeah. it, there's not a lot of point in arguing about should it have or not. And we yeah, it should tally, have, but it never was going to. Add a tally, or two tallies, really, in the column that says MLS thinks Next Pro is a joke. Uh. Well, they just, they don't think it's a joke. They want to keep the development in-house, but they're not treating it like a true league at this point. That's what it comes down to. Uh, and they just don't want to invest that kind of money yet as as a whole. And it could only be a handful of powerful owners on the committees that run this that don't want to spend the money. Uh, that would be very fitting with what we've seen in MLS, especially in the last five years. But either here nor there, whether it was a terrible call, there's no VAR. Uh, Jason Russell Rowe sunk the penalty without compunction, and uh, it's a 1-0 lead to the uh, crew. Of course, that changes the game state, but uh, it's just a 1-0 lead. Everybody's thinking uh, City 2's got plenty to get back in the game. This is about, we were getting ready to leave for the wedding, and I check in on the game. And I see, it's like, okay, I'm scrolling through the feed, and I'm like, I see the score. And I'm like, okay, it's 1-0. That's a tough penalty to give up right towards the end of half, but it looks like it's a pretty back-and-forth game, and we are kind of playing our game. I'm not too worried about it. And then... And then, three minutes later, in uh, the first minute of stoppage time, uh, uh, Marco Micheletto just gets pushed down to the end line, down by the corner flag, takes a pot shot, whether it was a cross or a shot, I don't know. Just takes a pot shot at the uh, near post. Michael Creek's standing there by the near post. The next thing you know, got through him and between him and the post, it's in the goal and it's 2-0 Columbus Crew. Uh, 46th minute, if you want to call it that, 45 plus one. And all of a sudden it's Crow t- uh, Crew 2 with two goals. St. Louis City SC, two, with none. And uh, that was a real killer going into halftime for the spirits there at the watch party. That that was tough to take. Yeah, I uh, that, that came up while I was looking at the game. And then I went, oh, game's over. And I just put the phone in my pocket and then was like, well, at least I get to go drink. <laughs> it, yeah, it, it. I gotta say, Crew Two were rather fortunate on both goals in this case, uh, but the damage was done. 
uh, those three minutes right before the half really, really determined how this game was going to go. And uh, always giving up goals like that right before the half is a tough way to go. But you kind of had a feeling if City 2 came out at the start of the second half and grabbed one back, game was on. But that didn't really happen. Uh, they couldn't erase the bad juju at the end of the first half by uh, really putting pressure under the crew, too. And, you know, kudos to Columbus in this case. They Their defense was stout, and St. Louis was having trouble putting any pressure on them. And instead of getting that pressure that was needed in the 58th minute, Ryan Telfer gets behind Benderosa. And then comes up on uh, one man to beat. That's Michael Creek, who's come out. He jukes Michael Creek. Creek goes down too early. Sticks an arm out, trips him. Stone cold penalty. You Second can't. Penalty. You cannot argue uh, this one. This yeah, one no, hundred percent needed to clear. be called. Hundred percent needed yeah. to be called. Yeah. And then the uh, MLS Next Pro uh, Golden Boot winner and MVP uh, Jason Russell Rowe steps up and cool as a cucumber. Sinks the penalty, 3-0 to the crew in Columbus, and uh, looking pretty tough at that point. Yeah, it was at this point in the game where um, being a drummer started to feel a lot like I was in the band of the Titanic, just <laughs> sadly <laughs> playing near my God to thee as we just wait for the next 30 minutes to happen. Oh, I feel so sorry uh, for y'all. I I didn't even think about that. Oh my goodness! To be a drummer and a fan in that yeah. stadium. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, you're behind enemy lines too. <laughs> you know, Florida getting noise. dropped behind enemy lines via paratrooper and don't even have your cricket clicker. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, Florida noise has a few chants from back in the uh, St. Louis FC days when the team wasn't that good. The sort of Hey, we're losing. It sucks. We know, but we're going to have a good time songs uh, that we still do. And none of those worked. You know, I thought, <laughs> I thought, hey, I want to dance with somebody it would cheer up people. It's Whitney Houston. People like Whitney Houston. No, no one was in the no. mood. We all knew what was going on. It, it was sad. However, Cecilio Pompeo had to give you a glimmer of hope way late in the 81st minute. Uh, he did pack a uh, pack. He picked Patrick Schulte's pocket and got an easy tap-in goal. That made it 3-1 to the to the to the home team, the bad guys <laughs> on that. But uh uh Schulte just uh played around with the ball too long in his own half. And Pompeo just came up, took the ball away. Nobody in front of him just tapped it in for a goal. He did yeah. his best and, uh, Brendan Aronson impression and it worked. <laughs> Yes. Yeah, it really was. It was like too little too late, but it was a fantastic move by Pompeo. Fantastic situation awareness to know that like, yeah, okay, this guy is he's just he's wasting time. He's batting the ball around. I, I'm right here. If if I catch him a little flat footed, I charge in there. I grab it. He's done. Yeah, he's toast. He did. It made uh, St. Louis's own Patrick Schulte look a little bad there. Look, made him look like Benjamin Mindy on that one. Ooh, that's uh, a reference. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, the, the little glimmer of hope didn't last long because just a few minutes later in the 84th minute, the game was sealed when uh, Ryan Telfer got a free run in the box, got by Kyle Hebert, turned him around, cut inside, and really put a stinger in the top shelf at the far post. Quite a shot. Actually, quite a move by him. 
Uh, <laughs> but uh, that was it. 4-1 yeah. to the crew, too, and that really told the story of the rest of the game, run out the clock. Somehow this was on, this was Columbus's only legitimate goal in the run of play. <laughs> it was. It was a good one, mm-hmm. but uh, it's really the only, le- well, yeah, in the run of play, yeah, the Micheletto shot from the inline through the post, that's what's a, that was a killer. Uh, but that was it. Uh, season over, game over, uh, party went on, uh, but, uh, a rough end to a really fabulous season for City 2, uh, going out this way, uh, some rough luck, uh, one mistake that really cost them, and that's the, that's the end of the game. Yep. Thoughts from you guys on this? Thoughts on, uh, the match? On the match, so I'd... <laughs> this is how it ends, not with a bang, but with a whimper. Yeah, I mean that's that's a fair sentiment to have for sure. But uh, I I do remember though watching this match. It wasn't it wasn't so much that we just kind of curled up and keeled over with our you know our tails between our, our legs and let Columbus run us through. We were no, still trying, and we were putting in the effort, and the pressure was still there. It's just. Yeah, it'd be a mispass there or someone, you know, didn't time a run right or something of that sort. They were still trying. And that's what I really want to keep seeing. It reminded me of when we got shellacked by Tacoma last like five to one. They didn't stop. They did not quit at all, but they wanted it so bad. They started making mistakes, which I don't, you don't want to see either, but I'd rather see them try than see them just get rolled over. I mean, but one thing you do have to say here is uh, what really hurt was uh, City 2 in the first half had a lot of chances and they couldn't convert. And that's kind of been their Achilles heel all season long. Yeah, once those chances weren't going in, that feeling started building in your stomach where you go, I've seen this before. I have a bad feeling about what's about to happen, and that feeling was right. Yeah, it's, but still, uh, it, yeah, it 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 builds the bad feeling in the stomach. But at the same time, watching them still try something to claw it back in any way they can, even if they end up letting up more opportunities, they're doing something to attempt to get that back, and that's what I liked to see. Yeah, and all season long, not playing anyone in the East outside. Rochester in the first game uh, didn't have a really good feel about how good the crew two were. It didn't seem like the uh, competition in the East was as tough as it was in the West and still think that's true, but boy, crew two's an awfully good team. And Jason Russell Rowe is somebody to watch out for. Yeah. That's uh, uh that's a talent. <laughs> yeah. He's a talent. So I understand Chris, uh, after the match, there's a little story to tell. Um, the moral of the story is that sometimes the universe has amazing comedic timing because, you know, the final, the final <laughs> whistle blows. As opposed to this show. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, the final whistle blows and, um, I mean, first off, uh, the team kind of came over to the side of the stadium where all of the St. Louis fans were up on the second deck and they... Uh, gave us a little salute. And it was really, and uh, if you look on uh, the team's Instagram or Facebook, you can see a little video of it. It was, you know, it was a nice little silver lining as a fan who drove out that far um, after seeing the team lose yeah. that bad. But 
Um, the second yeah, that was over. I think over, they posted it on Twitter and like, yeah, that was a nice gesture. Yeah. Can uh, confirm is and, also on Twitter. Yeah. It was really appreciated. But um, then afterwards, it's like, all right, I just got to pack up, get out of here as soon as possible. So um, there were toxic environment. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, you instantly the second the, the whistle blows, you see them start rolling out uh, the stage to, for the trophy and the fireworks. And so there were uh, two fans there from uh, Louisville who had known the Luligans who had come up. And so I talked to him before the game afterwards. I'm saying, you know, hey, thanks for coming. You know, we really appreciate you being here. It kind of sucks. And as I'm having this um, gentle conversation with them, that's when the fireworks go off. <laughs> and I'm debating, do I <laughs> do I keep going? Do I let the fireworks just pick up afterwards? But um, then finally we give everything packed up and I'm the one who... Uh, Everyone else was carrying out. We had a few bass drums people were carrying out on straps, but I had the little foldable red radio flyer cart behind me with all the stuff. And so I have to walk out of the stadium and everyone else is going down the staircases, but I've got the cart. So I have to go down the ADA ramps. And so there's all of these Columbus fans out on the plaza out there celebrating as I just slowly trudge through like the labyrinth of depression oh, no. down a few ramps <laughs> just you all the journey of dante down into inferno all these all oh, these columbus the fans ultimate city walk of fame oh, right there <laughs> just all oh, these people in yellow yeah. celebrating and then you've got the little st louis sad sack in the background just <laughs> weaving his way down the ada ramps and then i finally get to like the bottom of the last ramp just as the Nordeka's little parade gets past me. So I have to stand and wait at the bottom of the ramp oh as Nordeka God. walks right past me. <laughs> I'm getting like yellow smoke in my face and everything. And I'm just, I just want to get back to my car. <laughs> and then like they walk past and I finally make it to um, the plaza and there's still fans there. So I have to like, excuse me, sorry, excuse me, coming through. Sorry, excuse me. <laughs> Everyone's. <laughs> Looking at me like Welcome they're looking to the at the podcast, a ghost. punished Chris. <laughs> <laughs> and you uh, think they'd give you guys some sort of contingency to get out of there, so you don't just get continually embarrassed the entire time. No, no, no. no, no. And no. then um, as we we're walking to get some dinner afterwards, the uh, before this, most ninety nine percent of all the Columbus fans were really wonderful and and uh, welcoming to us. But as we're walking uh, to dinner afterwards, uh, one guy puts his head out, his sticks out his window, goes STL, and I was like, "Oh, that that wasn't very nice." No. <laughs> oh, and the final, the uh, final uh, death blow is that I did get a parking ticket once I got back to my car. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> oh my oh, god man. thanks for like, that uplifting I, story Chris <laughs> everyone else is waiting for me and I'm like that's the most depressing walk of my life and they go oh it gets worse Hold the pool but wait <laughs> Billy Mays here fan of the Columbus crew but wait there's more <laughs> oh man you heard it here first, folks. The Soccer Capital Podcast says ACAB. <laughs> We've said that many times before, Mason. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, let's end this on a little higher note. What's in some thoughts on the season? Because it was a very good season. The season was fantastic. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Um, I just want to say 
I, I, I loved seeing all of the effort from every player that put on the gray and blue and red for the, for the city two this season. Um, loved, loved the, the on-field team. They did very well. They played very well in the system with a high press. Uh, the midfield was absolutely dominant for most of the year. Saw a lot of great goals, had a lot of great times in the stands um, they really connected with the with the supporters on a on yes. a very visceral, real level, and I love to see that. Um, I expect just as much of a connection at the first team level, but all in all, I'd have to say this is a very successful first season, even if if it's just a developmental team. Very successful first season. Uh, the fans are all excited. We're ch- champing at the bit, trying to get ready for that next season and the first team. Um, I just hope we can continue to bring the support for City 2 because that's how you build that connection and keep it going and have a greater, deeper connection as a city with all of your clubs. Yeah, I mean, I'm very much looking forward to next season being in the big stadium, uh, having the f- the first team, being on television. But this season really was, you could going through it, you know this was something special. Um, to have this smaller, the smaller fan group, the smaller everything. It was just wonderful. I think that's what made the finals, the finals loss hurt a bit more was because I knew this is our only chance to have this happen again. This is a one time opportunity to have a season that feels like this. And you're to come so close to everything you could ever ask for and come up short. It, it's, it's a good hurt, but it, it hurt a bit more to lose in the finals after all of this. Yeah, it's a real sting, but I don't know. I don't fa- I don't find too much uh, disappointment in coming that close to the top, especially your first time around. No, you have to put the silver lining on it. No, I, to reiterate what Sean said, the best part was the way that the uh, the supporters group and the supporters came out, were loud, supported the team every week, and how much the uh, team really showed their appreciation for that. Who could forget uh, Josh Yarrow and the team uh, leading the team with singing happy birthday to the St. Luligans uh, that day. But the favorite one to me was a more personal moment. I have to be standing by the rail at Ralph Cordy Stadium. I believe it was the North Texas game. And uh, there were some guys there that were screaming and yelling the whole game. They're standing next to me and up comes Josh Dowling. It turns out it's his mates from back in England. And he's going on with them and talking to them. And I'm just standing by there. And I, I really enjoyed that. That was a fantastic moment. My best memory of the whole season. That was that was also going to be basically mine. Because I remember I gave him a high five as he was coming up the, up the stairs to talk to them. And then he almost tripped. And I had to reach out and catch his arm. <laughs> no, that's awesome. <laughs> I was like, don't, don't hurt yourself. We need you. <laughs> And leave it to Mason to have his favorite memory being uh, almost killing our, our striker by trying to give him a high five. He didn't trip because I gave him a high five. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, very powerful high five stuff. there. Yeah, but I, on a, oh yeah, <laughs> on a personal note from me, just I showed up to the first tailgate for the first game of the season, did not know a soul at all on any level, and um. By the end of the season, I was there in Columbus on the snare drum for the finals, and I'm on the show now, and I'm heavily involved in two other groups. It's been just just an experience of a lifetime for me so far, and I just can't wait for this to keep going. Yeah, that's kind of a sentiment I think we can all share. Well, I have to say, um, on a personal level, 
I, I know I said this. You can go back and check the records. Go back and listen to earlier episodes. I said sporting's always going to be first. But, uh, uh, Mason, I'm sure you can testify to this. But uh, at the last game at Ralph Cordy, I, I remember multiple times looking over to Mason and just being like, this is what the sport's about. This is what I miss. I want to keep coming to games like this. I couldn't I couldn't stop from smiling whether it was going well or not. It was a great game, great fan environment. The supporters were amazing. Um, the big FU flag that we have is amazing. Uh, but slowly but surely over the course of this season, I, I think my priorities have shifted a little bit. Um, and I think instead of wearing the blue and the dark blue of Argyle, I think I have to now say I'm wearing city red and blue for the rest of my life and city till hey. I die. City till We're I die. Let's go. City till team. I die, baby. <laughs> Let's go. I wish I'd known you were no, going to do this great. before the show. I would have brought out some champagne right now. I am <laughs> love it. And some tissues. We need to pass around the tissues. <laughs> but uh, no, I was like Chris said, uh, going into this, we seen a few people at a couple of meetings beforehand but uh, didn't really know and the uh friendship the support uh the generosity and just the general happiness around the whole group of uh, supporters has made a difference to the point to where i was not afraid to drive two hours by myself to go up to this watch party and basically i was a social butterfly i knew so many people people were happy to see me i was happy to see them it's what being involved is. And if you haven't had the chance out there, uh, listeners, to had to become part of that and enjoy it, I highly encourage you to get out and uh, get to one of the games and uh, enjoy the tailgate and enjoy the friendliness, the welcoming that you get. It, it's part of to be a part of a group like this where everybody likes you is very self-satisfying. It's satisfying. Yeah, by the end of the season, it was pretty consistently happening where I just did not have time during the games or during the tailgates to talk to everyone that I knew, which is a really wonderful problem to have. Champagne yeah, problems, I, uh, baby. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, like we we went up to those games, we hardly knew anybody, and now in here at the end of the season, I feel like I have some like very real, genuine friends that I did not know, however many months ago. Oh, absolutely, one hundred percent the same, and. I ran into some people that I forgot that I knew. Uh, shout out to uh, my friend, my very, very tall friend that I'm sure he knows exactly who yeah. I'm talking about. And Chris <laughs> knows exactly who I'm talking about. Shout out to Ben. Good to meet you, my brother. Very good. And uh, one last thing about uh, City 2 and the supporters group. Uh, we got a little uh, something about the Thieves supporters groups, don't we? Uh, yes. So the Thieves, they did this earlier in the year, just after the season started, and they're doing this again, where they're doing a Amazon wishlist uh, supply drive for the unhoused population in the city. So if you check out either their Facebook page or their Twitter page, you will find a link to an Amazon wishlist where there are um, toiletries, uh, hygiene products, and a few uh, because winter's coming, a few sleeping bags, uh, warm hats, warm gloves. Uh, that I assume, uh, just as we did in the spring, we will um, have a get-together, put these care packages together, and hand them out. Uh, it's a very good way to give back to the community. Uh, the Thieves do a lot of really great work. So 
look at the list. And if there's anything that you would like to donate, please, please do. Um, it's a wonderful group and a wonderful cause. Yes, it is. And whether you have a lot or just a few dollars to spend, it'll make you feel better. And it's for a very, very good cause. And if you don't have a lot to spare, but you happen to be in the area, like Chris said, they will probably uh, be posting something about a get-together to to get all those care packages together. So if you don't have a lot of money, but you have some time to donate, keep an eye out for that. Very good. It's what it's all about. Got a little something of interest to St. Louis City SC fans in the upcoming MLS season. One thing that the team will be involved in is the upcoming Leagues Cup between all of MLS and all of Liga MX. I'm actually quite excited about this. And we got some details that have come down recently about how the format of the tournament will be. And uh, to kick us off with the rundown, it's our own Sean Campbell. A um, little bit of details is is a bit of an understatement here, Mike. Uh, there's there's <laughs> there's quite a bit to unpack here. Um, there there is an article on on MLS that you on MLSsoccer.com, Making sure you don't go to that uh, retail, not retail, uh, real estate, realty retail. It sounds very similar. Uh, but not to go to the realty site. Uh, MLS.com, MLSsoccer.com has a an article that also spells this all out. If you want to read it, um, yeah, too late. But man, you're already specifically getting into the bits. Um, there's going to be. Th- a group stage that consists of three teams per group, and I believe that's 15 groups. Am I correct on that one? I think so, yes, because there's going to be 32 teams in the next round after group stage, and two two teams are getting a bye, but we'll get into that in just a sec. Uh, but three teams per group, um, and as far as results go, every team's going to get two games per group minimum, um, and it's MLS Next Pro Rules. So that's three points for a win in regulation. You get a point for a draw, but then you have to play a shootout, and the winner of the shootout gets an extra point. Uh, like I said, Yay. minimum two games per <sighs> team, two games per team per group. Um, and the MLS Cup two, 2022 champions are going to skip the group stage. They'll get a bye into the round of 32. And when it comes to the Liga Mekis, they're going to decide they're going to take the Clausura 2022 and the Apertura 2022 champions. They're going to take the, well, not champions. They're going to, yeah, no champions other champions. They're going to decide who has the most aggregate points between those two competitions and whoever is the most between those two gets the buy. Uh, the other team will then have to be seated into the group stage. Um, as for MLS clubs, you're, going to get the other than the champion the next teams all the way down to 16 through the uh supporters shield rankings are going to get seated and placed in groups so group a would get number one and so on and so forth and then the liga mechies teams are going to be seated but placed reverse so 16 would be put in group a and then so on and so forth um, and that's also based off of aggregate points between Klausura 2022 and Apertura 2022. Um, those points combined, and then it's going to go based off of points combined of those. The remaining unseeded teams from MLS and League MX, I believe in MLS there's 13 teams left, and in MX there's only two. Uh, those will then be 
placed in in groups based off of a regional draw. So when you say like regional draw, though, I mean, are you talking just east versus west, or is it going to be a bit more fractal, like three, maybe four different regions to kind of sort teams into? Uh, what? Yeah, what it's going to be is uh, to cut down on travel. They will uh, place the remaining teams in a against other regional teams. Uh, all of the games he hasn't mentioned it yet, but all the games will be in MLS stadiums and cities. So the the Liga MX teams will also be placed that way to cut down on travel for everyone involved. Yeah, it looks like it's going to be split up into four regions as a whole. It's going to be an east region, west, central, and south. Um, I don't know how they're going to split up the Liga MX teams because, again, there's only going to be two of those in that final third spot for each group. Um, the MLS teams, again, I think there's going to be 13 total. But um, an example group would be group A would be the MLS team with the most points that didn't win the cup. And then the Liga Mekis team that was 16th in total points from the Clausura and Apertura 2022 combined would be the second team. And then the third team is a random draw based on region, but it's also going to be, you know, based off of travel and such like that. What you're looking at is uh, really a tournament set up so the top teams in MLS and the top teams in Liga MX will get down to the final knockout stages and be playing against uh, each other at the end. So they're putting the best MLS team against the lower-seeded Liga MX teams, and then to fill out these regionals will be teams that uh, weren't that good last year in both leagues. And that's a majority of those teams are because the majority of teams are in MLS, will be from MLS. Yeah, it's it's definitely trying to... I definitely see this as a setup to try to prevent a quote-unquote group of death so you don't end up with LAFC in, in a group with also, you know, say, someone like Seattle Sounders. That's probably actually going to happen, though, now that I think Club about it. Club America, like, you don't, Seattle Sounders, and LAFC. Yeah, that but you don't end up with, you know, LAFC in the same group as Austin and then also someone like Atlas from Liga Mekis who won both the Apertura 2021 and Clausura of 2022 and is looking to do very well in Apertura of 2022. Um, they're try- it looks like they're trying to cut down on a, le- on a group of death. Um, but at the same time, the top two teams from each group is going to advance. Um, and then that, that gets us to the knockout rounds. Uh, knockout rounds are going to all be a single match. Uh, we get to you start with 32 teams with the two buys, and then you get 15 teams, sorry, 30 teams total from the group. If you have 15 groups and you have two from each group, uh, third with, with, um, what am I talking about? Oh Yeah. <laughs> you get down to a you get down to the final two to have, you know, a classic knockout one match group, one match games, and then you also have a third place match because that matters. Um both of the finalists in this tournament will get a CONCACAF Champions League spot. So if you make it to the final, you're guaranteed a Champions League spot. The third place winner of that game will get a Champions League spot as well. Um, the winner of the League's Cup, though, is more important because you will get a buy directly to the round of 16 for CONCACAF Champions League. Um, 
that's important, but I'll get into that in just a second because there's permutations. Um, all of the games of this tournament, all 77 of them, will be aired on Apple TV with no blackouts, uh, but there will be extra broadcast information to come. And this is important because the Apple TV streaming is worldwide. It's a global uh, signing. So in world soccer, this has never happened before where two leagues stop for a month and play each other like this. It is bound to get global attention just for the novelty of it all. And uh, there is some interest about how good is Liga Emekis and some interest in how good is MLS. Uh, it's actually kind of exciting. To be selfish and to bring this back around to uh, St. Louis, just looking at the um, Supporters' Shield standing and imagining will be put into that central group that was mentioned earlier, our most likely group members would be Columbus, Minnesota, Cincinnati, and Nashville, just based on geography. And the highest rank of any of those is Nashville in ninth. So it it doesn't look like we're likely to have too tough of a group um, in this tournament. Well, that's also Mm -hmm. provided we, depending on who we get from League Amekis, because you might end up with a team who may not have a great season in Liga Mekis, but also is never a team to sneeze at. Like we might end up with a Club America or a Chivas or a Pumas that makes CCL routinely, but they're still very dangerous teams. So it, it could be a bit of a misnomer, but at the same time, it definitely bounces out. So again, we don't have a quote unquote group of death where one of the best teams is clearly going to get cut out. I'd also say that Nashville might end up in the east or the south, and instead our other uh, division mate might be Chicago. So, Oh, it's that'd be an easy say, one. <laughs> but if it is Nashville, you're not going to get Club America because of the reverse reverse order of Aaliyah and Mackey's. So you're going to get, uh, say, I don't even know from the Apertura, but uh, it could be a team there at the bottom of the Liga and Mackey standings over the two uh, split seasons uh, coming in with Nashville and St. Louis City. But you want know one thing as an expansion team, the bottom team in all the seedings is most likely going to be St. Louis City. Right, but that's going to be... Ba- the, the third team is going to be picked based off of a draw, not based off of ranking. So we might get, that put, is in true. Tough, we might get put in a tougher group than we think. So we don't want to get too much into that. But... Um, an important note about all of this is all of these games, all 77 of them are going to be played in MLS stadiums and, um, the games between two Liga Mekis teams are going to be placed based off of the region of the group they're in. So that doesn't matter too much as far as group stage, cause they'll be placed in a central city or not, not central meaning central group, but they'll be placed in a city that's like a hub city for that region for the group stage. But when it comes to knockout stages, that could play a factor so that they limit travel as much as possible. Yeah, I was curious about this because like we were talking about how many teams are going to be left over um, and how like the Liga Mekis teams are going to be sorted into groups. And it's like with 13 teams, 
I have a feeling it might be that they just get stuck into the groups that are left over that need more teams. So, um, and this is like this is very much speculation on my part, but this feels almost like a confirmation of that. <laughs> well, a lot of the going into this from Liga Emeki's side is to bring exposure for lesser teams in the league, like say Nexkaka, uh, into exposure of the very valuable uh, Spanish-speaking population in the U.S. and bring them into the U.S. So that's probably has a lot to do with why the games are all in MLS stadiums. Also, look at it this way, like a World Cup. The uh, Liga Emekis teams will be put into a certain group and then a region like they are in the World Cup to cut down on travel. And then they'll be based in that particular city uh, and that time for the whole length of the tournament, as long as they're still in it, or if they decide to stay, which I doubt. Well, luckily, as far as this is concerned, um, the, the, the big thing about travel, it's going to be a worry, but not as much as we'd think, because it's not going to congest your schedules. Don't worry, for both our MLS fans and our Liga Mekis fans, both leagues are pausing their their league schedule for about a month from July 21st to August 19th of next summer, everything will pause and it'll be strictly just the League's Cup. So you will not have to worry too much about rotation as much as you would if it was like a midweek game for this cup versus, you know, and then also two days later having a weekend game for your league. You have... To, you have to focus on this strictly as a tournament on its on its own, and you don't have to worry about your own league le- leaking into this. Um, don't worry. It's like nothing we've ever seen. It's never been seen in world soccer. It's alien to everyone. It's going to be fantastic. I can't wait to see it. And don't worry. If you're confused, you're just as confused as I am. I just read all the all the ex- essentials of it, and I'm still a little confused about it. But I'm sure the people in the front office that are being paid the big bucks know how it works. Um, I'm also assuming City will be placed in one of those remaining spots to be drawn in the third team in the third spot of a, of a group because we don't have a ranking in the supporters shield. Yeah, one question that I have, because I only skimmed over these notes. It sounds like you read them much more thoroughly than I did. Um, how are they going to decide tiebreakers in the groups <laughs> if that um, happens? That information is yet to come. Um, that That is one thing that is noted specifically in the MLS soccer article that I did not put in um, because I didn't have information on it. So they, they said to come later. There, there's your answer. The okay. tiebreaker information so, will come later. <laughs> they at least know they need to have that set up. Okay. Yes, absolutely. I think, I think they're hoping that the uh, extra point for, you know, penalty kicks, the hockey shootout rules will try to eliminate some of that. The interesting thing is MLS's tiebreaker. They switch to uh, games one instead of goal difference, in a way to push teams to try to win at the end of games. And quite frankly, I think it's been a wonderful success. Um, I, Liga Emekis and every other league in the world doesn't do that. Are they going to do that for this tournament? We just don't know on that. And the other question is, I also saw somewhere where there's a minimum of two games in the group stages 
So if it's a, you know, if you're St. Louis City Expansion Club, you do get in one of those rough uh, ones and you're out after two games, you're sitting out for three weeks without a game to play. Yeah, that's I also, interesting. And, but and I also, guess it went. That's the risk you do for something that's actually. I'm rather excited to watch this, but also, that could be a harm to the home team. I found that uh, that phrasing "minimum of" very interesting. I wonder if it's because they haven't solidified it yet. Well, but we, may might be considering tiebreaker games in the group stage. Yeah, yeah, because could be. Yeah, I know that's definitely something that I thought of as soon as I read "minimum of two games." I was like, okay. That means they're leaving the possibility open for tiebreaker games, and I'm sure they're going to schedule it as such. I I think minimum of two games just means even if you suck and you lose both your games, at least you play two games. I think that's really what it means. It's not like a <laughs> but a group of three. That's the way the math works. Yeah, yeah. But I will exactly. say it's not a true round robin. Yeah, but I will say a testament to just how confusing this is. I've seen several like consistently good reliable sports journalists post an explanation for this tournament and then people say actually you got that detail wrong and they have to backpedal so even the smartest people in sports are confused by this setup so don't worry too much we do not claim to be the smartest people in sports (laughs) Uh, speak for yourself no i'm just kidding i'm an absolute dumbass do not take my word as law also Keep in mind when you look through these convoluted rules, which actually are not that. They're just in the details. It gets confusing. It's pretty much run like a World Cup type tournament. But keep in mind that you have two leagues with differing numbers of teams and their own points of view and things they're negotiating at the negotiation table. The logistics have to be hell. And the negotiations to work this out is actually admirable between the two leagues to actually be able to hammer something out that somewhat makes sense. Uh, say what you will, that's uh, that's special and we've never seen it before. Oh, absolutely. And I can't wait to see how it works out because I'm sure they've hammered this out through many meetings, through many owners groups meetings and and figured out, okay, this works for us, but it doesn't work for you. Okay, we can make a compromise here or vice versa. But uh, I, I, I think it's going to end up working out very well, even though we've seen a lack of that in as, insofar as MLS Next Pro streaming and such. But I'm very excited to see it happen. And uh, I think both leagues really want this to happen. Liga MX also wants this to happen. Um. Uh, there probably will be problems the first tournament, the first year they'll have to be worked out. But I think this will be a continuous thing going forward. And I believe that is fully the plan. And they'll work them out and make refinements as they go. I mean, this is a tournament that's been around for a while already. It just hasn't had this many stakes. Well, Not yes, there's, there's it's that. It's kind of a also- joke, an exhibition tournament basically it was an exhibition tournament but not in the same way that it was this year where they had to cancel the tournament for the pandemic because they played an actual tournament before right 2018 or 19 i believe right but moving into now this this has ccl stakes now it has stakes exactly it has ccl stakes now and as much as we're gonna try to discuss these rules 
moving into the next season and the season after that and the season after that, things are going to change continually for the next couple of years as we bring in those final two MLS expansion clubs. And that's going to completely change the rules yet again because we have extra teams added into this. And uh, do not forget that they announced this at about the exact same time that they announced the expansion of the CCL and the expansion of slots specifically to give more teams from Liga MX and MLS slots in this CONCACAF Champions League, which seems to be the way that the UEFA Champions League is going as well, while they try to give individual clubs higher priority in UEFA, they're trying to give individual leagues a higher profile in CCL. Yeah, this expansion of the League Cup was always intended to be a feeder tournament for the CCL. You could tell that from that press release. Absolutely, but at the same time, you have to remember that in it, in adding these spots for MLS and Liga Mekis, they were also adding in even further spots to fill out the tournament proper from other federations within the Caribbean and also in Central America. Uh, so those spots that weren't there before were added because they also added these spots in MLS and League Mekis. I mean, not to disrespect any of the teams from Central America or the Caribbean, but you know, the CCL usually comes down to the MLS and Liga MX anyway. So the question is, is this tournament really just trying to capitalize on what would be the uh, CCL, but instead spread that viewership out instead of, you know, maybe four or five MLS teams to every MLS media market, maybe every MX media market? You know, I... Yeah, Kirk... <laughs> Does this not Chris, cut you, you down on the <laughs> prestige of the CCL a little bit? You've you've kind of touched on what I thought was that, oh, this is just an expansion of U.S. hegemony into the soccer market. <laughs> yeah. uh, there's differing viewpoints. You could also look at it by raising the profile of MLS and Leah Emekis. You raise the profile of all the teams in CCL and the whole region as a whole. Um CONCACAF is actually doing a lot of these changes to give more opportunities to smaller countries. And and let's put it quite frankly, uh, Saprissa and uh, the teams out of Costa Rica have won CCL. So there's teams out there that could very well make a run in this tournament any given year. But the power of MLS now and the competition with Liga Mekis makes that less and less possible. It's to raise the whole region up by pushing up the two leagues. By raising the two regions, you also then make the giant kill, a.k.a. the underdog beating the Goliath, the David beating the Goliath of, say, Asaprisa making a deep run. You make those Cinderella runs that much more, that much more special. But it also then says, hey, even in our smaller countries, our leagues are strong enough to beat our big leagues. And these big leagues are big enough that they can compete with each other and therefore the rest of the world. It's a whole thing. It's a step up to step yourself up. It's It works that way. Look at what the Dream Team did to uh, world basketball, especially in Europe. Absolutely. A, a rising tide raises all boats. Absolutely. Have anything else to say about this? I think we've uh, pretty much uh, rung all the questions i have uh, one well question, no well, there's actually. many many questions to be quite honest go ahead 
Um, so one last question I have about this is about already qualified for CCL teams. If you've already earned a CCL spot, assuming the next team available will take the spot because that's what's happened in other tournaments in the past as far as like say someone in the Canadian Cup has already won MLS Cup, you know, then the ne- then the runner up in Canadian Cup gets that CCL spot. Um depending on timing if you've already qualified for the Champions League um by the time the League's Cup comes around and you make the final, would you assume that everything else just moves down one spot? And I think I have to say that that's true in most situations. I'm pretty sure from watching the press conference when they announced the expansion of CCL that they addressed this and really what they were doing was expanding the amount of uh, uh, slots for MLS and League MXs and and Canadian teams as well. So I do believe that they'll slot down. But I don't know that for sure. But that's the feeling I very, very strongly got um, from a long time ago when they announced the expansion of the CCL. Well, I do have an actual answer to that question, but I'm going to get into that in the MLS segment. That's right. I'm teasing y'all to keep y'all listening. But that's about all I have for CCL and for the League's Cup. If anyone else has anything to chime in, now's your chance. Speak now or forever hold your peace. And Shajan is such a tease. Now we're going to move on to something uh, a little less confusing, but also a little less joyous. It's a little something we're going to call Merritt Paulson and the Sins of Misogyny, the fallout from the Yates report. Uh, Merritt Paulson today, and we're recording this on Tuesday, uh, stepped down permanently from day-to-day operations as a CEO of both the Portland Timbers of MLS and the uh, Portland Thorns of the NWS- NWSL. Uh, he had temporarily stepped down earlier this week or late last week, I don't recall, uh, but now it is permanent. If you don't know who Merritt Paulson is, he's the longtime owner and CEO of both the Timbers and Thorns. He's been very successful. He's been very popular. And he is a powerful owner. Uh, He is probably the highest profile owner in MLS and perhaps the highest profile owner in in WSL. Uh, All this follows the release of the Yates report detailing systemic emotional and verbal abuse as well as sexual misconduct within the Thorns organization is what we're talking about, but more importantly, in in WSL as a whole. Uh, The 107ist, I think that's how you call them, uh, it is the group which governs the Timbers supporters group, uh, the Timbers Army and the Thorns' uh, biggest supporters group, the Rose City Riveters, have called on him to sell both teams. Also, many sponsors have been calling for significant change or have actually pulled their sponsorship from both clubs altogether uh, due to the fallout from the Yates report and everything that's gone along with under the reign of the organization under Merritt Paulson. It all starts in 2013. (laughs) This is great. Uh, The president of business, Mike Golub, was found to have made inappropriate sexual remarks to then-Thorns coach Cindy Parlo-Cone. Recognize the name? 
She's a current U.S. soccer president. Yeah. And then in 2015, uh, Thorne's players, Manishim and Sinead Fairley, uh, did the very brave step of alleging and making allegations against Thorne's head coach, Paul Riley, of sexual misconduct. You may recall Paul Riley as being the head coach that kicked all of this off on his next club after he left the Thorns. The allegations made against him at his next club was what kicked all of this off with the NWSL. Yeah, and uh, President of Soccer of Timbers and Thorns, Gavin Wilkinson, downplayed the allegations against Paul Riley from way back in 2015. And even recommended Riley to the Western New York Flash of the NWSL just simply months after uh, the organization, had, the Thorns had fired uh, Riley due to cause. Saying that uh, he had been misrepresented in all this and he, that uh, Wilkinson himself would hire him again in an instant was uh, the quote. Uh, Wilkinson and Golub were fired. About a week ago on Wednesday, October 5th, Wilkinson had had his contract extended earlier this year. Wilkinson was cited by a law firm with numerous business dealings with MLS. Itself is incompetent. This is after the Timbers failed to report a domestic violence accusation against then-Timbers player and star attacker uh, Andy Polo. In May of 2021, it was deemed in the investigation that this was simple incompetence rather than a desire to cover up the episode. Now, while all this goes on, this, you know, the accusation was made in May of 2021. The Timbers exercised their option on Andy Polo's contract in December of 2021, only then to turn around releasing when the allegations became public in February of 2022. Two. Two months later? Yeah. You may also remember that the Portland Timbers were alleged to attempt to cover up these allegations. Yeah, the uh, they weren't ever found to do that. I, I you, you can make your own decisions, listeners. Uh, MLS, because the findings were inconclusive, according to that, they did find the club tw- all of $25,000 for failure to report the incident. Oh, boy. You know, clearly, there is a pattern a Wilkinson dismissing women's allegations. And through all this, especially when the highlight came down after it was come to light about what Paul Riley had done and the Andy Polo, Paulson has repeatedly supported Wilkinson in his role as GM all of this until last Wednesday. Uh, Paulson today said, quote, he holds himself accountable for not doing enough. And he went on to apologize for the mistakes that they all made and the responsibility is ultimately his. Yeah. In all this, it is highly unlikely that MLS will force Paulson to sell as it will take a supermajority of owners, I believe as high as 75%, to vote to push him out of ownership, which any league in sports doesn't do this and unlikely to get the votes because the other owners themselves don't want to face, you know, being held accountable for their actions or inactions. The thing about Merrick Paulson, he's very popular 
Uh, he's been a figure on Twitter. He's been reaching out. Uh, he's been very successful. The Timbers themselves have, you know, won MLS Cup and been to multiple finals just in the last eight years. Thorns are a very powerful club, and they're very uh, well attended in their matches with fabulous supporter groups. He also sits on the MLS Board of Governors and also sits on the Important Product Strategy Committee that governs the league's on-field product. The I believe this is true that uh, he's the actual CEO and runs the organization, but the real money has actually come from his father. Not a lot of details about what he's going to do. He's been so lively in running that team. If he steps down from day-to-day operations, how that's going to work for him. And the pressure from supporters groups, the pressure from the media, and especially the pressure from sponsors. Will he try to sell these very successful teams that have really had great success in MLS running on a bit of a budget? And we'll find out, but this is a sad, sad story. And just one little window into everything that was uncovered uh, under the Yates report. Yeah, I uh, just before we move on and continue discussing this, I want to say that what had come out in the Yates report is some rancid stuff that covers at least half of all of the front offices of NWSL. Five of the 10 teams in MWSL at the time were impeding the report, had fired coaches, had had allegations made against them in a similar style. Um, this is systemic rot that, that we are getting a glimpse into here, but is not, it's not localized on the thorns. This runs rampant in this organization and it's, it's really tragic to see and something something dire needs to be done about it. I absolutely agree. Uh, it, it I, I we didn't mention this earlier because we didn't want to seem like every time we talk about the women's game that it's we're just dogging on them because that's not fair to them. It's not fair to the athletes. It's not fair to the teams that are attempting to do their absolute best and putting their their best out on the pitch. Um, not fair to the fans. It's not fair to the fans either. It's not fair to anyone involved. Um, But when it comes down to it, um, someone like this that is, whether he's well-known and popular or not, um, I just want everyone to know that if something like this even remotely happens, remotely happens within this organization, I, I feel like I'm okay with saying this. I speak for the podcast when I say this. We will hold your feet to the fire and we will call you out as best we can. Because <laughs> we are first uh, and foremost a fan podcast. We will. I, I would say well, we that hope I, we never have to. Kind of follow up on that. I'm really, really hoping that um, the Timbers Army and the Rose City Rivers and everyone in Louisville can keep on putting the pressure on those owners as they have been doing a pretty good job of recently. Keep the pressure up and force some actual real change. And this whole story reminds me a lot of first and foremost, the USA gymnastics, Larry Nasser situation. And to a lesser extent, mm-hmm. the reckoning has been happening in hockey recently between both uh, the Kyle beach situation and a few other horrific events that 
it's it's so the rarely... Canadian national team, right? Oh um, yeah, they the junior national junior national Canadian well. youth soccer has um, been also yeah riddled with these scandals. And, and former Blues player Ian Cole, as of the other night, um, but it's it's just so very rarely an isolated incident. You know, there always takes just a staggering number of people to come forward and say this isn't right before anything ever really happens. Um, and it was no different here, which is disappointing. And I don't know if I have nothing else to follow it up with. You know, you can scream, do better at the top of your lungs all you want. But when you read a story like this, it's just really difficult to process, especially with everything else that happens in sports all the time. I mean, what it is, is it's disgusting, quite frankly. Um, and I think the last time we talked about this, when the allegations first came out before the Yates report, I made the same analogy to. Activision Blizzard in the games and just the video games industry. Um, and I am very saddened to report that if you have not cut up, kept up with that, nobody has seen very many repercussions for that. Bobby Kotick is still in charge of Activision Blizzard. Yves Gamo is still in charge of Ubisoft. None of these people really face any punishment. I have a feeling that no. Uh, very unfortunately, Merritt Paulson is not going to be forced to sell this team unless more sponsors pull out and the and like the timbers collapse, because otherwise there's no financial incentive to get rid of him. Uh, he has stepped down from day to day operations as CEO. And so that is now, quote unquote, good enough from the league. And it, it, it simply is not. It is not, quote unquote, good enough. Something more has to be done. There has to be more protections for for these workers. For these workers. We need to understand this. These players, they, they go out and they play the game they love, right? But they do so to earn their living. These people are entitled to the same protections that you or I or anybody else are when they go into the workplace, and they are not getting them, and that is unacceptable. Well, it's not just workers either. It's your daughters, your wife, your mother, your grandmother. It's a majority of the population that has put up with this for years and years and why has it been allowed to happen it's because of people like Merritt Paulson allowing a dog like Gavin Wilkinson to just dismiss these out of hand and ignore what's going on and keep the old boys network going cuz it's fun i don't know it's i think everybody they, has drawn their own conclusions on they that they help each other out you you scratch my back i scratch yours you you do well in this position i don't care what else you do you make me money and that's what ends up happening here and there's a real lot to say about a patriarchal society here but i think but i think we are we're already running podcast. long and i yeah. do yeah i do not have another 3 hours to go in on that i was going to say but, i think i think we've gotten to a point where We've we we've said our piece. Yeah. You guys listening know what we need, to, what we have to say about this. Um, and I think if we get any too further into it, it's going to become a different podcast for a different day. And the last thing I have to say is, there's no way we could cover this in detail. There are writers out there like Meg Lanahan at the Athletic, uh, other writers, especially from the Washington Post, that have been on this for a long time that are out there with a lot of in-depth information. If you want to know more, seek them out. 
we couldn't let this go. This had a tie into MLS, which we're going to get to better things like Decision Day upcoming, but also with the NWSL and uh, the U.S. women's national team. They had to face this with some friendlies in Europe. Uh, but we wanted to say that there are definitely people that can cover this with much more detail, bitch, much more on top of it than us. But for us to remain silent uh, was impossible. So we looked at one tiny little window and focused on that. And look how in-depth this one tiny little window was. But enough of that. Moving on to some greener pastures about Major League Soccer. It was decision day this past weekend. We know who's going to be in the playoffs. We also know who individually has finished with certain awards. And as usual, to give the rundown, it's Sean Campbell. All right. Well, moving into MLS, and we'll try to brighten up the mood a little bit. First, we want to give a little congrats to Hani Mukhtar, who won the Golden Boot. Let's go. Yay. Yay for Hani. awfully good this year. Awfully yeah. good this year. Oh, I mean, yes. There's a reason I, I, I kept him on my fantasy team since week one. <laughs> um, we also want to give a little congrats to LAFC, who won the Shield by purely tiebreaker because they had more games won than the Philadelphia Union, even though they were tied on points. But yes, LAFC won the Supporters' Shield. But next, I think this is one that it's a bit of speculation because we haven't, no one's decided yet. Coach of the Year. There are several candidates up for this. Uh, Wilford Nancy up there in uh, Montreal. Josh Wolf down in Austin. I think Jim Curtin might have an outside shot uh, just because of how dominant they have been. Um, but a sleeper pick. Pat Noonan and Cincy. I think Pat Noonan and Cincy has a sleeper pick to be coach of the year here. Yeah, that's the that's the thing, right? Is uh Pat Noonan he uh he takes this squad, the Cincy squad that's never ever hit the playoffs, and he takes them all the way up, and now they have a shot at the cup. Um you you preempted me, but I, I think it might be Pat Noonan. <laughs> no, Noonan's a good shout. Also one you didn't mention was Phil Neville and what he did, especially in the second half, or even leading into that with the Inter-Miami FC making in the playoffs. But it's got to be Wilford Nancy at CF Montreal. I mean, they're going in the playoffs as maybe the as the hottest team and maybe the scariest team heading in the MLS playoffs. I do have to say, though, Nancy did a great job with Montreal, but... I definitely think the sleeper pick here and my pick personally is the St. Louis in Pat Noonan because he did take Homer. what Homer. <laughs> oh, okay. Call me a Homer all you want, but the dude literally took a three years running spoon winner and took them to the playoffs. That's a big turnaround. It's not as big a turnaround as Nancy did up in CFM, but in Montreal, they did have a big turnaround. But Pat Noonan took an absolute stinker and made them a playoff team, and they're still looking yeah. hot. You can call me stupid, but you can't call me a homer. I didn't know that Noonan was from St. Louis. <laughs> no clue. It, you'd hate to have the coach of the year just basically be the de facto biggest turnaround award, but like bringing Cincy to the playoffs after all that, it's impressive. 
And also, Brenner was a dud for being such a high-profile signing in MLS as a DP. But this year, he's fantastic. Uh, Lucho Acosta had a lot to do with that. But uh, just seeing the turnaround in this young Brazilian, who's probably well on his way to Europe soon, especially after this season, phenomenal. Phenomenal. But when it comes to who's going to win the voting, it's going to be Wilfred Nancy. Yeah, uh, that that remains to be seen. That that will be found out in the next com- couple weeks. But uh, on the opposite side of the spectrum, I do have to say, um, speaking of coaches, the MLS carousel of coaches continues, and Caleb Porter is officially out as coach of the Columbus Crew. And I think this should be surprising to nobody. I want to officially say I did not have him on my Coach of the Year shortlist. Did anybody? <laughs> I don't think anybody did, but uh, I do have rumor that apparently at the beginning of the season, he bet his house that they would make the playoffs. So <laughs> well, it's a good that's... thing he's not going to live in Columbus for much longer. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, you know... In classic Caleb that Porter fashion, toxic environment. <laughs> well, you know, in classic Caleb Porter fashion, he thought that he still had his job until the very last moment. So there is that. <laughs> there is also that. While we're talking about absolute frustrations with the coach, um, I do need to mention that Joseph Martinez gets his second soundbite of the season. And uh, asked post-decision day game, they asked him, the, the, the media asked him um, about the season and about how everything went and what his responses to it were. And his response was, talk to Carlos and Pineda instead of me. And that, to me, says a clear message of, it's the front office's fault, not mine. I did what I could do, and they kept me out of it as best as he could. Now, while he's seen a drop in scoring this season, he's also seen a drop in minutes as well. Significant drop in minutes. Um, He's always been pretty transparent about his thoughts. He's always felt very strongly for the team that he plays on and wants to to will the team to win, as seen by, you know, when he got suspended for, what, a match or two by flipping a table after his upsetting loss. He feels for the team. He really wants to make the team work but I don't think he's working well with the front office and I think he has a point. Yeah, that's the thing, right? I know that um, players making really incisive comments about front offices like this um, or uh, disparaging comments towards the team um, really kind of boils some piss, if you will, um, amongst fans. But he's right He's right, and he's also right to be very passionate about this because he, he, for a long time, was the engine of that team. He arguably still could be if if for some reason they had him back and instead of, you know, changing over the players, they got rid of the front office. Um, but uh, no, he's right in what he's saying, really, I, in my opinion, at least. Uh, I know Carlos Bocanegra is a... U.S. men's national team legend. And uh, he had a great start to his career in the front office at Atlanta, and it seemed to all go to blow up his head. Because lately, their choices in who to sign and who's on this team have been mind-boggling. This year, they, you know, their defense was ravaged by 
uh, injuries, losing Brad Guzan, a goalkeeper, and Miles Robinson at uh, center back took a shaky defense and made them very bad. So what do you go out and do? Let's go sign some more wingers so we can have more. And uh, it really seems like the whole point of the whole exercise of what they're doing is to look for another big ticket sell-off like they had with Miguel Amaron. Uh, and they've been signing players that just really can't play within the team structure at all. Yeah, they- I- I'm looking at Moreno who... You know, Diego Almada seems to be a great signing, but he's a provider. He gets the ball to Moreno. Nobody knows what Moreno's going to do. No one. He shoots when he should pass, and he passes when he should shoot, and he's often just taking pot shots when the buildup is all there. And uh, Joseph's probably really upset because there's just no play. They're just not playing the right way. And he's a team leader. He's upset. And Pineda... He's stuck in the middle of all this, going, I should have stayed in Seattle. (laughs) Well, I mean, the Atlanta front office seems to make the kind of strategic decisions that I do when I play Hearts of Iron 4, and it won't surprise you to know that I have never had a good game of Hearts of Iron 4. (laughs) I do have to say, I think a lot of this is something that... Chris, I heard that. (laughs) I, I, I think that's something we have to talk about here as City fans. Um is this is what we're trying to avoid when Lutz said last week that we don't need another DP. We're looking to fill out the team. Um, We're not going out and looking for splashy signings. As he said many times beforehand, we're looking for players that'll fit in the system that will play the system right and fit in well with the squad. And this exact problem is what he is trying to avoid. I've had multiple friends work at Disney. I can see on good, good authority that Goofy is a bit of an egomaniac. So we're not out of the woods. <laughs> so he should be striker while Pluto's the goalkeeper. And if you don't know what we're talking about, look up the article <laughs> that uh, Tom Bogert on MLSsoccer.com had with the uh, Lutz finance deal. Uh, and uh, Lutz made some waves on Twitter by saying that. Uh, he wouldn't, they're not out looking for another DP. And MLS fans and all of their infinite wisdom on Twitter, which Twitter we know is full of infinite wisdom, uh, Again, decided kids, that meant they were going to sign any. Twitter. <laughs> he, he, they decided that meant he wasn't signing any DPs. Of course, not being educated enough to know they've already got two. Um, but I, one thing I do have to say about all this is. If the right player that fits the system is out there and Lutz thinks they got a chance to sign him, he will go through hell and high water to get the money from the ownership to sign a big money DP if they fit his system. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's I, all I, about fitting the I, system. I, 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 yeah, I can't even say that like really like it's like he's like blowing smoke up our ass anymore or anything. No. Because... This is how he's built this entire roster this whole time has been. I want the guys I want. If I can get them at the price tag I want, then fine. If I can't, do I have a DP slot? He's not going out looking for big guys. He's going out looking for the guys he wants, and he will use a DP slot on a guy he wants if he needs to. Look at his head coach hire. 
Bradley Carnell from Latter Days Red Bulls after Terry Henry uh, was there. They've did you, never did spent you just money. say Latter Day Red Bulls? Yes, <laughs> not early day Red Bulls, and and by no means Metro Stars. <laughs> we're talking right about now. we're talking about Mormon <laughs> Red Bulls here. Folks. Yeah, <laughs> I, I I put five Red Bull cans into a hat, and then I look in them, and no, you cannot see them, but it says that I should sign. Lionel Messi. (laughs) After the signing of Terry Henry, they haven't signed anybody big to their team. Uh, So they do the same system that Lutz has, and that's the reason why Lutz went out and got him, I got a feeling, for many other reasons as well. All right, well, I think it's about time we start talking about the on-pitch news and start talking about what happened on the hectic, hectic day, Sunday, 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 <laughs> Sunday, that was. Come on down to the MLS day. Arena for Decision Day. You'll it's pay for the whole day. seat, but you'll only need the edge. The you're going to pay for the whole seat, but you're only going to need your feet, actually. No, Decision Day, here it comes. We're going to go hard and fast, just like Decision Day did. Um, we've got our mashup set. I'll start off with those. We've got CF Montreal going up against Orlando to start. NYCFC is going against Inter Miami. Red Bulls New York, aka Mormons Red Bulls, are going up against Cincy. (laughs) We have Austin FC going against RSL in the West. FC Dallas against the Loons and the Galaxy against Nashville. And I'll tell you how we got there. So first off, in a winner-take-all game between RSL and Timbers, RSL takes the takes the 3-1 win to squeak in by the hairs on their chinny-chin-chin. Very similar to what happened last year. And you know, I, I watched this game, and uh, after limping through the last six to eight weeks of the season or so, wow, RSL looked strong in this one. Not sure what happened. Maybe it has something to do with the Timbers and the fallout of the Yates report. I don't know, but RSL looked very good in this one. RSL seemed to do what they do best in the last weeks of the season, and you know what? Good for them. But we're going to move on. We've got another winner-take-all game here in Minneapolis as the Loons take it 2-0 and also get in on decision day. That was an absolute great win for them. Good for the Loons. Cincinnati needed a win to get in as well, and they did so in absolutely dominant fashion in a 5-2 stomping of D.C. United. Actually, watching the game, it wasn't that dominant. They jumped out to a 3-0 lead, were killing them, but their weakness in defense happened. They gave up a late goal. Uh, or No, they, they go into halftime 3-0. They got it done. Immediately, within a minute in the second half, they give up a goal and it's game on. They just overwhelm with attack. But uh, that's what we'll look for in Cincinnati in the playoffs. They're must watch, they are a must-watch team. They can outscore anybody, and they can get outscored by anybody. I, so I do have fun. to say, though, um, don't they say the best defense is a good offense? I know they all Not say defense, no wins defense. Champ- I know they say defense wins championships, but the def- best defense is a good offense. 
that that's that's a bold claim to be making when us St. Louis has just lost as being one of the high the most high energy high press teams. Okay, but also I'm a Kansas City Chiefs fan where you know you could be down 17 nothing on Monday night Wrong football, football and still come in and win. Chief Kingdom baby. Your I'm just football's saying. funny shit. I'm just saying. It's still football. It's viable. Anyway, um, but no, Cincy also ended up getting some help to make sure that they would get in because uh, Columbus needed a win to be in, and they couldn't get it done. And by losing this game 2-1 to Orlando, they completely clinched any and all problems that Cincy may have had of getting in. And in which case, they also, I mean, in, in this game, they gave up a penalty in the 86th minute to snatch defeat from the jaws of winning. <laughs> I will say, so this... Or at least drawing. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, the, the Columbus game happened while I was still driving back from Columbus, but when I went back and watched the highlights later, knowing that they lost on a handball call made me just a little bit happier. Just a little bit. <laughs> and it was stone cold handball against Columbus. It's almost yeah. as and if, if the Columbus soccer gods had, were had, on our side. Columbus lost the playoffs with that penalty in the 86th minute. A draw got them in. Yeah. Instead, I, Orlando makes it. I, w- I will say, Sean, they were not on our side. What they are, they are cruel and wicked jesters. <laughs> you are absolutely correct on that, actually. <laughs> um, but by not being a draw, since he was guaranteed a spot, whether or not they won their game or not. So... By Columbus losing, Cincy was guaranteed a spot and therefore cementing Pat Noonan in the conversation of Coach of the Year. Yeah. Just going And back also, a do, bit. I don't want to let this go unstated. Congratulations to Cincinnati. Those yeah. guys, they've all suffered so long. Like we've been saying all season, we ragged on them. Everyone's ragged on them. They deserve this. Absolutely. Cincy, you've deserved every inch of this. this you one. have earned it. You have yeah. earned next spot season. You will not next season. You will not get our sympathy. <laughs> you earned this one day, one day. It will be. It will be the. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, retribution will be coming in the form of city red and blue. <laughs> um, but we've got one last match. One last, you know, spot to talk about here. Uh, CF Montreal. Did everything they could to try up lock out that number one spot, but Philly also did everything they could to lock up that number one spot, and Philly does as Philly does, and won. CF Montreal won three one, but Philly also won four nil, locking up that number one spot in the East for Philly, getting them the bye, and CF Montreal, all they did was play tune up game, <laughs> and the you know the Union were playing uh, Toronto. You knew they were going to win 4-0. Yeah, but also like all CF Montreal did was get second place when we thought they were going to be an outside the bubble team. <laughs> Speak for yourself. Late like mid to late season, I was all on that CFM train. Yeah, Go back and listen. Go back and listen, s- folks. You'll know I'm on that CFM train. I'm on that Georgie Mihailovic train. <laughs> I we was going to say, speaking of pre-season. speaking for ourselves, we might need to go back and, and look at how we had our rankings shake out preseason. Uh, <laughs> Thought about that's, this the other night. Nah, <laughs> that's that's going too far back. <laughs> Why you Although if you want to go back and listen to that, please do. 
It helps us to get back to you. Yeah, they are called the MLS Crucible. You can search for them. <laughs> I'm not on record. You can't get me. <laughs> Yet. <laughs> Next season, Chris. Next season. Yeah. It's All right. fast. I do have one last thing. One, A couple last notes for this MLS section. Um, I do have a bonus surprise moment that I teased earlier in the in this in the episode. That's right. Here it is, folks. Um, I have to ask about that CCL spot. I have clarification. Per the U.S. Open Cup, should the champion hold multiple CCL qualification slots, then the U.S. Open Cup runner-up will earn the CCL slot. Should the U.S. Open Cup runner-up hold multiple qualifications, then the next MLS club, which has accumulated the most regular season league points, will earn the slot. However, the runner-up is not an MLS team. So, that means if Mm. Orlando wins the MLS Cup, Sacramento City! It could be Sacramento Republic! Sacramento Republic could still earn a spot that I believe is a buy slot into the knockout stages of the CCL. You fucking heard it here first, folks. You gotta root for Orlando to win the cup. <laughs> so that Sacramento... We've gotta see Sacramento the in the CCL. <laughs> Absolutely unhinged level convolution of, of CCL oh, spots. Man. Dude, I was so excited to see Sacramento in the final of the U.S. Open Cup. Imagine they made it to the CCL. Yes! <laughs> I have made Mason's month, week, and year all in one statement, everybody. Ah, uh, dude. Yeah. Man, there's a long step from it happening. Possibility of it happening in Orlando winning MLS Cup. <laughs> I yeah, I there know. is. But now you know what side you're on. <laughs> Which way, Western man? <laughs> I do not own a single piece of purple clothing. I just thought it through. I don't. But I am all in on Orlando right now. I need to have this happen. <laughs> exactly. We must have the absolute underdog tale of the century happen. I believe in Orlando FC, but I also want Austin to win it because Los Verdes and also my my boys at Moon Tower. I very much appreciate y'all. I was going to say one thing about Decision Day in MLS. We're hoping for so much more. Got a good start to the roster build. But if St. Louis City SC has just a twinkle of a chance to get in the playoffs on Decision Day next year, I think the season would be a success. Absolutely. Expansion team. 100%. The only way we could see any more of a success than we saw this year is being in the conversation on decision day. And I think the product, the, the team that the teamwork that they have put in and built at city two is enough to get us into that conversation. And I will be very happy to see it. But I think that's what we, what I would expect personally, but not what the general fan should expect. Mm. Exactly. Yeah. I personally be fine with an Austin situation where our first year doesn't go so great, but then second season we're up there really challenging for one of the top spots. Yeah. But I, I, I think know. that's a more realistic take on what could happen. 
honestly, I think it's more realistic to expect the Austin curve where it's like, all right, we're figuring out the league. And the next thing you know, we're actually doing really well. I think that's more realistic. But if we could at least be in that conversation as opposed to being in the spoon conversation, that's a better place to be in. And I think that's a success. If I'm if if I had to pick between like the two, I would certainly rather be like Austin than be like the Vegas Golden Knights, where we get to the finals our first year and then we collapse. Mm. I would rather be like Austin, where we get pretty close and then now actually we're on an upswing rather than an absolute demolition. We do have a defined system like Austin, but are we going to have a game changing player like Sebastian Jurisi? That does matter in MLS. You know, yeah. I think well, that might be who Lutz goes out and finds for our extra DP slot because rumor has it they're opening a fourth DP slot. Again, rumor mill opening a fourth DP slot for next season. The all but confirmed also, mill. Yeah. And also speaking of a month away, the expansion draft. There's November eleventh. The Oh, the expansion draft is going to be an absolute, oh, I cannot wait until we get to cover that. But speaking yeah. of expansion draft, um, we've got rumor mills for transfers we can talk about. And uh, the rumor mill is always a churning, whether it's transfer window or not. And uh, this last this last rumor that I have to say is uh, apparently David Beckham has been throwing his name around enough that he can talk to his old club, Man United, and see if he can snag Ronaldo for Inter-Miami. Yeah. And I have to say, reportedly, they're getting ready a $30 million bill uh, uh, bid for him. Personally, I don't like the move, and I think we're past this. We're past being a retirement league. This transfer is after the World Cup. It won't, you can't, so he can't even use the Gareth Bale, I'm using this to get in shape for the World Cup. Like, either hang it up, or go find a less competitive league. Do not come here and try to besmirch the MLS name. Find somewhere else to go. You gotta stop reading agent press releases, Sean. <laughs> I got this off of MLS.com! Sorry, MLSsoccer.com. <laughs> yeah. No, this I think actually what you got from MLS.com was a house for $500,000 in a Phoenix exurb. <laughs> Were they quoting the Daily Mail? Uh, I will go find the article right now so I can make sure, but no, I do not believe so. Oh, something even more obscure. <laughs> so I've got, I've got two thoughts about this. One, to allow the audience to peek behind the curtain a little bit. As of about 2 o'clock this afternoon, your thoughts in the show notes on this were in all caps, so I'm glad to see you tune it down a little bit. Um, <laughs> Thank you. But, you know, to, to show my own biases a little bit, if I recall back in June or so, it was all but confirmed that Messi was going to join Inter-Miami, and I just really, really breaks my heart to see this downgrade if this actually happens. <laughs> downgrade yes. oh bold words from the new man on the podcast i can't disagree uh yeah i mean i don't either but uh absolutely no. agree with you chris downgrade from being linked with messy to being linked with cr7 yeah downgrade 100 percent. i think we've got enough of this silliness we've beaten oh, we this dead horse to death to death 
to death. <laughs> we, well, we, we have... wrap this up with a little rundown of what happened with the U.S. women's national team in light of the Yates report. They had a couple of friendlies in Europe this past week. And uh, what's the results of that? Well, we've got we had two friendlies. One of them was at Wembley playing against England. That was a loss at 2-1. It was the first loss for the U.S. women's team since the semis of the 2020 Olympics that were played in 2021 because of the pandemic. Um, But that span between losses is 21 matches unbeaten. Only three of them were draws, and they only allowed six goals in that span. And three of them were in one game. England's ranked number four in the world. The U.S. is ranked, the women's is, at least, are ranked number one. So it's not exactly a massive upset. But uh, all the scoring in this England game was in the first half. England got a winner on a PK in the 33rd to take the lead. Uh, the women's national team had a had looked like they had equalized in the second half, but it was called off by offside by the slimmest of margins. And it was called off by VAR, and y'all know how I feel about the slimmest of margins being used as VAR evidence to call things off. I don't like it, and I've also said so about hockey things as well, but that's beside the point. Um, either way, disappointing loss, but then they come into Spain in Pamplona. They end up losing 2-0 to Spain um, against, effectively, the Spanish team because 15 of their starters had asked to not be called up for these friendly citing problems with the coach that's a whole other story for a whole different podcast if you want to look it up please go do research on it because it's something you need to look at uh because it's a problem with the coach and the players not quite on the Yates report level but still worth looking into um either way the last time the u.s women's team has lost back-to-back matches you have to go back to march Of 2017, it's a long time ago, five years ago, they looked like they were really chasing the game for most of this. Um, They had a couple opportunities, but Spain really kind of sat in control and possession. Um, Either way, you have to take into account that leading up to these, these friendlies, they had the Yates report come out and they had a lot going on for them emotionally as well. And that's that really weighs heavy on a team. Um, Spain got a corner in the 39th, and there was just absolute chaos in the box. The ball finds the net. They go down 1-0. And then Spain got a 2-0 lead on a beautiful cross and a beautiful finish. Don't get me wrong. If you can find the highlights of this goal, please do, because it's worth watching. It's a beautiful goal. Um, But most importantly, looking at these back-to-back losses... Do not hit the panic button yet. It's not the same level of panic as if as, as if when the men's team missed the World Cup the last cycle. Because, yeah, this window's going to sting. It's going to sting. However, this is not a team we should be worried about. No one can win every single game. No one can win, you know, it bounce back from a loss every single time. Um, we had a bad couple of bra- games. They're probably going to brain hole it, you know, just throw it out, bounce back, learn from it, move forward. Um, and again, based on the week that this federation has had because of mm-hmm. the report and the, also, the material conditions, if you will. Exactly. But also you have to look at the players that were out for this window. 
Uh, Crystal Dunn is still trying to work back to fitness from having a child. Alex Morgan is out with a knee injury. Mallory Pugue is also out with a familial commitment. Emily Fox left after 22 minutes of the England game because she had a concussion. She's in concussion protocol, and her replacement on the wing is making her debut um, in Carson Pickett, who did very well, honestly. Um, The team just looked like they're trying to get back together like a lot like what the men's team is doing but at the same time this is not a team we need to worry about these are friendlies this team is coming together ultimately they're going to brain hole it and then next month they have another window of friendlies two of them um, both against germany but i think they're going to brain hole these games learn from them and then go to germany stomp them twice and then they're going to move on um and I noticed that uh, Julie Foudy has said in the last two cycles, they had a game where they got stomped right before the World Cup, bounced back, had some dominant domination station performances, and then won the Cup. I'm not saying it's formulaic, but I ex- fully expect this team to bounce back. They've been nothing but dominant for most of recent memory but you can't win every game. I think they're going to be okay. You just have to recognize there were some issues that weren't totally within their control here. And you know, I was watching the replays for these two games because both these games happened while I was at work. But I, I loved seeing just how many people were in the stands for these games. It reminds me of the dichotomy of being a fan of the U.S. women's team where you want the women's game to grow across the world. But the only way that can really happen is if other teams rise up and can beat the United States. But I want the United States to win everything. Uh, But Mm -hmm. uh, both, I mean, just the almost sellout crowd at Wembley Friday night and uh, tonight in Pamplona, where you were sharing the exact same time slot as two Champions League games of La Liga teams with um, Real Madrid and Sevilla. Sevilla. to still have that good of a crowd in Pamplona, it's great to see. I love seeing the women's game grow in England and Spain. So even though we lost, we took a hit. Having these two games go the way that they did, I think is good for the women's game as a whole. Oh, absolutely. Um, and looking at the roster that the USWNT brought to these friendlies, um, almost exclusively outside of one or two players, were brought from NWSL teams and they still did very well against historically great women's teams in Europe and continue to still be attempt to be good and, and be on level with them. They weren't getting dominated by any sense of the term. Um, That's very good for the women's game because a lot of places look at our women's league as the forerunner on a lot of things. And we've talked about that in the past in different issues, but the European leagues and the European teams are coming up and that's going to build a fan base. It's going to build all kinds, all kinds of fan base and, and, you know, followings of the teams. It's going to build the sport as a whole for the women's game. We got a little bit of time before the women's world cup to go. We'll see where this goes. The growth is exciting and uh, everything that's happening across the world really is built upon what the U.S. women have done to raise the the profile of the women's game across the globe. 
It definitely goes back to the rising tides raises all mm. boats. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. To tie things into a pretty little in ending. Any other comments from you guys? Oh boy, this has been a long show. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for sticking um, with us, folks. <laughs> yeah, if you if you've gotten to this point, you have officially earned a handshake and a hug from me if you ever see me in person. So please hand hand me your fake coupon or just say I heard the episode, give me a hug. I will gladly do it. <laughs> also must be noted you can opt out of that reward. <laughs> and all I got to say is I'm your host, Mike Turner. I'm your producer, Mason. I'm your resident cave-dwelling hooligan, Sean. And I'm Chris, who says, fuck everyone named the H Report and St. Louis City SC until I die. <laughs> and we are the Soccer Capital Podcast. Thanks for listening. Bye for now.